In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. I want to start today in a place that actually isn't in the text. Our story this morning in the gospel starts with Mary Magdalene arriving at the tomb to see that the stone has already been rolled away and that Jesus is no longer there. But what happened before that isn't recorded in the gospel because there were no eyes to see it, no words to describe it. Maybe like me, you've seen a few movies where they try to show it, to capture it, at least the part about Jesus breathing again. In some movies, he suddenly takes this sharp intake of breath, like it's supposed to be a surprise. Or a light appears and shines out of the tomb, bursting the tomb open and rolling the stone away. In one series, you just see his eyes open. Visually, we have tried to explain, and perhaps in text, others have tried to explain, to capture this moment that none of us were there for, but none of us not on this side, will ever know and be able to explain the mystery of God. Not so well that we can imagine or picture or even try to describe or explain the resurrection. But once his lungs are filled with air, once his eyes are open, his feet on the ground, after he gets up and folds his linens, by the way, I have to imagine that would have made his mother very proud, after all of this, there is that moment where he comes out of the tomb, And that is really the moment where I want to start today. Before we get to the text, the moment where Jesus actually takes the first couple of steps out of the tomb. What do you think it must have been like for him to step out of that darkness, literally the darkness of death, to step out of the tomb and back into the world? We know that his resurrected body is different He tells people not to hold on to him. He seems to look different and and appear differently even to the people who loved him best. But as far as we know, his human body still appears to be human enough for now, at least until the ascension when he's gathered up. And so I have to believe that as he takes these first couple of steps out of the tomb, he would have blinked, letting his eyes adjust to the light. Maybe he shielded his eyes a little bit as he bent down through the open space and back out into the world, a changed world, a saved world, because of what he'd done, because of the pain he endured, the darkness he faced, the death he defeated. And now he's returned to this world and his eyes have to adjust. And all of us have had that experience of light, of our eyes needing to adjust to the light, of entering into something new, and at first sort of coming out of the dark and into the light, um, as your eyes adjust, it can almost hurt, right? If your eyes don't adjust quickly enough. Our eyes literally need to close a little to keep some light out in order for us to be able to take the light in, because if we take in too much, it, it's, it's too hard. We have to adjust. Let's hold on to that image for a moment. That feeling of excitement and tension and slight discomfort, but mostly hope. My favorite part of this text as someone who has experienced profound grief and walked through profound grief with other people is that Mary doesn't recognize Jesus when he first appears to her. Not only does she miss the angels entirely in the tomb through the fog of grief, through her red eyes from weeping, 
When she comes back out of the tomb to be confronted by Jesus, she doesn't recognize him right away. She can't because her grief is so thick, like a veil cast over her, thickly weighing her down. And in her grief, I expect that she's also angry and feels betrayed and doesn't quite know why she is where she is. He shouldn't be dead. There was so much more to the story, so much more she was expecting. And now, now he shouldn't be gone. She's come to honor him one last time, and she's worried that someone has taken his body, that last piece of him that she had to, to really grieve him. And she's so focused on finding him and, frankly, finding him dead that she can't see him alive, standing in front of her. Anyone who's experienced grief will tell you that grief does that to you. That grief and struggle and contending with a reality that you can't control and you never would have chosen, but also can't imagine living through. Such is the depth of Mary's grief as she looks for Jesus at the tomb on Easter morning. And she tells us why. I mean, she, she gives us words to understand the depth of her grief. And they are, they have taken away my Lord. So now there is just nothing. The last thing that she had, the, thing, the last thing she could do for him, that last bit of honor and connection, her, her ability to cherish him and respect him and give him the burial he deserves, that connection is gone. And she says, they have taken away my Lord. Listen to the grief in that statement. They have taken away my Lord. And then everything changes. He says her name. He calls her name, Mary. And for her, it's like the lights go on. The red scales fall away from her eyes and she suddenly can see him for who he is. And still, I have to imagine that it took her eyes a minute to adjust, to take in the light, the truth of his being alive right in front of her, the light around him from the morning, the fullness of the fact that he really is there and it really is true. So maybe not just her eyes have to adjust. Maybe it's not just her, her eyes that have to sort of limit how much she can stand in this moment, but maybe it's her heart too that has to limit how much she can take in order to let herself believe, to let herself believe again, a little at a time as much as she could bear, as much as her eyes and her grieving broken heart could let her start to believe again in joy and in life and in possibility and the fact that this story was not actually over. In a way, Mary is coming out of the tomb just as much as Jesus is. Her stay in it may not have been as long and it may not have been as dark, but she's coming out of the reality where Jesus is dead into a place where Jesus is very much alive and suddenly everything is possible. And she doesn't know it yet, but because of his resurrection, she has also been made new. And there is new light for her to take in as well. I can only imagine that as she looked at him in that moment, she needed some time to adjust and to wonder at what had happened and how this was possible. She was there. She saw him die on the cross. And so she would have been wondering, probably reeling, trying to catch up with her brain as, as she and her body and her soul tried to figure out what was happening and what this meant for the story now. How was this possible? I think we all would have needed at least a moment. But what's so impressive about this text and, and so important about Jesus's response is that he really doesn't give her more than a moment. 
Jesus really doesn't give her any more than that. And I, I have to imagine that there was this, this tension between them in some ways because she must have wanted to stop and to wait and to just be with him and to stay with him and hang on to him. Imagine for a minute that you will return someone that you love and see no longer, how you would do with that, how you would respond, how much you would wanna stay in that moment for as long as possible. Mary must have wanted to settle there, to build a house there, like Peter at the Transfiguration. She must have wanted to hang on to this moment forever, to live in that joy, to stretch herself as wide as she could, her eyes, her heart, her soul, her body, to take in as much of him, as much of the truth as she possibly could. But typical Jesus... <laughs> He doesn't want to wait. He is ready to go and do the work and to be about God's work. And right in this moment, as Mary is reeling and grappling and trying to adjust and take all the light in, right in this moment, Jesus gives her work to do. A purpose, a vocation, a calling, which she does eventually accept. <laughs> but it's pretty quick that right in this moment, he asks her to go. He sends her to go and tell the others which tells us something really important. For the last 40 days, we have been driving here in the season of Lent to this moment through Holy Week, through the trial and the torture, through the cross, searching for Easter dawn. And it's tempting for us to see Easter as the ending. And it is the end of the Lenten season, to be sure. So it's, it's fair that we, we've come to think of it as this culminating moment where we even sing songs about how, the, how God's redeeming work is done and the battle is won and the victory is o'er. But look at what Jesus does in this moment. It is not done for Jesus. And it's about to not be done for Mary either. Jesus has emerged from the tomb from a journey that we will never quite understand in this life from the most exquisitely painful sacrifice and into the light of day, into joy of resurrection and new life. And when Mary has a moment to discover a piece of that joy, he sends her to work. <laughs> this isn't the end, it's the beginning. God has done God's redeeming work, that is certainly true. Jesus did his work on the cross and over the dark night of Good Friday and into the resurrection, that piece is done once and for all, done for us. But clearly there's more. So what isn't done yet? What isn't completed in this moment? It's not God's work. It's not Jesus's work. So it must be our work, our part. And right here at the end of the passage is the beginning of us, of our work, of our life together, of being sent, of being asked to go, being given work to do and a purpose, to go and tell the others the good news. Not to just stay in the joy of the resurrection, tempting though that may be, to take it in for ourselves, to feel safe and secure, to know that he loves us, but instead to go and tell the others, I have seen the Lord. For us on this Easter morning, the journey is intended to be the same as Mary's. We begin in grief and longing, the feelings that have carried us all the way through Holy Week, all the way to the cross and the tomb. And we begin with Mary's words, they have taken away my Lord. And we should begin there with her in the grief as someone who goes to the tomb looking for him, not expecting that God will have done God's work. And the promise of the gospel and the promise of this day and of this moment is that 
No one can take the Lord from us. Nothing can ever take him away from you. Nothing you do or don't do, nothing you say or don't say, nothing anyone else can do to you, nothing in all of creation, not even death, not even the cross, can take him and his promise from you. If you, like Mary, will come out of the tomb into the Easter light, if you want to see him and to find him and to follow him, then nothing can ever take him away from you. Nothing can take away the promise made to you at your baptism, that you are marked as Christ's own forever. And sometimes that is a deeply joyful thing for us to hear, and sometimes it's also hard for us to hear and to understand and to take in. Sometimes our hearts and our eyes and our spirits can only take in so much, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of a very difficult season in the isolation of this time and the darkness of grief, especially when we've taken an authentic journey to the cross where we've looked at ourselves honestly and realized that we are broken and there is work to do. So we have to stretch ourselves. We have to take in a little bit at a time so that we can learn how to take in the promise fully, holistically. Because that is the only way that we can travel from they have taken away my Lord to I have seen the Lord. And this is our sacred calling. This is the journey that God calls all of us to make as Christians from despair and grief and disbelief to joy and light to connection and fulfillment to being sent to do the work God gives us to do and ultimately finding peace and fulfillment in the midst of that work together. This is what we hear when Mary says, I have seen the Lord, when she accepts the work Jesus has given her to do, when she goes back to her community and says, he's alive and I have seen him. What we should hear in that is her hope, the peace that she brings to the disciples and the promise for the whole world of eternal life. Beloved, this Easter day, like every Easter day, is a day for us to marvel at the empty tomb and to glory in the empty cross. To look again at Jesus' call to you and to us, which is the same as Mary's, to go and tell the others what you have seen, what you hope, what hope you have found, what promise you believe, what comfort, what peace you know in the risen Lord. What do you think the world would be like if each of us shared that news the way that Mary does? If each of us really believed and lived like we believe that Jesus has honored the divine spark in us and in all of our neighbors? How different would our lives be if we stepped out of our individual tombs, out of the darkness and brokenness, not just of this season, but of all the grief and the sadness that we have experienced in this life, how different would we be if we stepped out of that darkness with Jesus? If we believed that we truly have been made new, that we are precious and beloved beyond our imagination, and that there isn't enough time, enough room inside of us to soak in all of the love and goodness that God has stored up for us. What would the world be like if we together moved from they have taken my Lord to I have seen the Lord. 
God has good news for you today. God has good work for you today. Happy Easter.